straight from the boardroom to the microphone. I'm April Garcia, and this is Pivot Me, easily applied tools and hacks to get you ahead. This isn't just a podcast. This is an upgrade for your life. helping good people become even better. This is Pivot Me. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today as we talk through the topic of trademarking your brand. We are lucky to have the lawyer who loves law, is called the chief pontificator of her law firm, and goes by brand geek, Lara Pearson. Thanks so much, April. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you have a firm in in California, right, that specializes in intellectual property and for the purpose of our discussion, probably uh, around trademarks. So welcome so much to the show. Thanks so much. And um, actually, I'm licensed actually in Nevada and Colorado, but only my Nevada license is active at this point. Gotcha. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Thank you. Put the formal lawyer hat on right away. (laughs) Let's get awkward out of the way. You just jumped right into that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Well, you know, awkward's good, right? Absolutely. Become a human right away. So you and I met, oh gosh, probably about I'm thinking about 10 years ago at a business conference. And I remember we kind of immediately hit it off over our, our mutual love of rock climbing. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Awesome. And then we we stayed connected on and off throughout the years. Um, though recently you've become a, a far more pivotal part of our podcast journey here a short time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, before we, before I go into that, um, tell, tell me about yourself. Tell me about um, some of your backstory or maybe what got you into the, the exciting and riveting field of intellectual property. It is exciting and riveting, um, or at least I find it so, yeah. which is good because uh, otherwise I don't think I'd be very good at my job. I actually, Stacey Dugan, it's a real simple answer. Um, Stacey Dugan was an intellectual property law professor at Northeastern University when I went to school there. And my very last semester of law, I took a class of hers after having accidentally skipped the first day of her class, having misread my schedule, um, and then been in her office hours not knowing that I'd skipped her class, not knowing that this would be my favorite professor of all time. And uh, bitching about how much I did not want to be a lawyer, law school, like the law is so arbitrary. Um, it just, I just, I didn't like a lot of my peers, even at Northeastern, which is a public interest law school. And that's not to say that those peers aren't wonderful humans. I just didn't, it wasn't like people I, I don't have a lot of friends left or, uh, you know, I didn't make a lot of friends in law school. So I wasn't really keen on being a lawyer. I didn't like a lot of the people that attracted or created, whichever. And, um, just, yeah, there was no area of the law that really excited me. And uh, I took this intellectual property, what we call a survey course or an overview course. And so it looked at each of the four areas of intellectual property law, copyright, trademark, trade secret, and patent. And I just thought trade uh, trademark law was the neatest thing. And, and Stacy would come in with, I remember distinctly, like the second or third day of class, she came in with this bag of Dorito brand corn chips. And then in the other hand, packaging that looked identical, but it just said corn chips or something generic on the, on the labeling, but the packaging looked identical. And if you were, you know, at a, at, if you were buying food out of a machine and you glanced at that, you would obviously you'd think it was Doritos or like a cheaper, you know, Doritos knockoff. Uh, but you, you would think of Doritos immediately and it was a knockoff. And, and I was like, well, how's that? Okay. And she's like, yeah, that's not okay. And I was like, oh, I want to do this. 
Um, and so I, I had already planned at that point to, to um, move to Lake Tahoe uh, after my legal career. And I remember people saying like trademark law was, was and I think is still uh, viewed as a niche area of law. Like lots of people will practice general corporate law or, or trust in estates. There's lots of like trademark law is a subset of corporate law, but it's, it is a specialized area of corporate law. And um, people are like, you cannot go to a resort community and practice uh, trademark law. That's crazy. And I was like, well, no, brands everywhere need trademark attorneys. What does it matter where I am? You know, like I, I'm protecting their brand. I need a computer and I need a little bit. Ideally, I'd like two 19-inch monitors side by side that I can scroll through. And if I have a third next to me, that's perfect. But, um, you know, a 15-inch monitor will work out of the back of a Subaru at a beautiful location uh, any day. So... Um, I was like, no, I think I can do this. And, and yeah, fortunately I have. And then I have with businesses like yourself that are um, working to make the world a better place and not just looking at profitability, but looking at lifting other, other humans up and communities of people up and um, figuring out how we can do that in the least harmful or maybe even a beneficial way to the environment. So um, all the more fun and amazing. Wow. And then, yeah. That's amazing. Oh my God. There's so, so many parts. That's a long answer to a short question. I'm sorry. Oh no, it's so good. It's so good. Thank you for that answer. That is perfect. So I absolutely love, I, I wanted to summarize it as a bag of knockoff Doritos got you into um, this kind of, uh, this kind of um, focus. But you know, one thing I want to say is um, one thing I want to point out is I love when you said people told you you can't go to a resort community and practice trademark law. I love stories and, and you know, knowing our listeners, a lot of them are, uh, many of them are entrepreneurs and they have a tendency of going their own way. And I love stories that resonate with that. Um, Hey, people said it couldn't be done. And look, here I am doing it. And whether it's two or three, you know, 19 inch monitor side by side, or whether it's, you know, a 15 inch out of the back of a Subaru, I'm still making it work. So um, I love that story. Thank you for that answer. That is great. So in relation to this, so I find that people's um, understanding of it, myself included previous to, is, you know, we don't necessarily understand, we kind of understand the, the idea of, hey, you don't want one brand to look like another brand for, you know, the story you just told. Um, that makes sense. But there's so much more nuances than I, I myself even imagined. You know, if you were sitting down with someone and, and saying, you know, someone that is an entrepreneur that owns a business or is promoting, you know, a brand or a product, product, whatever that is, what is it that you would want to say to those people? Because I'm sure that you, maybe you see people after they've gone pretty far down the road and you're thinking, you should have called me a long time ago. Um, but what would you say to them at the beginning of their journey? Uh, well, at the beginning of the journey, especially if it's, you know, still um, in the conceptual stages, I would say have a good trademark attorney and really make sure that the brand is available. I mean, at, at the end of the day, the brand isn't what builds the company. It's the humans and it's the, the product or service um, and the interaction that people have with it and the benefit that it creates. All that aside, that's embodied by this brand. That's how people choose that lawyer or that podcast or that pack of corn chips from some other ones so that they, they're able to identify quickly by its brand. So if you can, uh, I hate to have lawyers lead a process because I don't, I, I think that that um, can seem to stifle creativity. Um, I have no desire to stifle anyone's creativity. In fact, with brands, I say be as unique and, and creative as you can with the brand itself 
and let your tagline tell people what it is. Um, so many people want to create brands that are descriptive. And nowadays, more and more and more things are being considered descriptive by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. And descriptive terms are not uh, protectable under trademark law. That's the number one issue I see of people with just brands that are descriptive or that the USPTO perceives to be descriptive. And it takes longer for them to be protectable. It costs a lot more for them to be protectable. And um, at the end of the day, the pro like I said, the product and the people who are delivering it in different ways are are what's really going to sell it. So, the, you know, the beginning when you have the opportunity to make something that's unique, do so. And then as to the uniqueness, um, not just something that's totally made up, but also make sure no one else is using anything similar. And that's where a lot of entrepreneurs um, or trademark attorneys actually can really help. Because entrepreneurs' perception of, oh, what's the, that's not that similar, the goods, the services aren't similar, the, I make a product, they have a service. Um, what the government will see as similar and what another brand owner will see as similar, that's the value that trademark attorneys can bring to you. And it may not seem fair or rational, rational or fun at times. I always find it fun and I don't take pleasure in people's misery. I really like their joy. But, um, and which also I think is important, if you have somebody who doesn't like what they're doing in, in any profession, it doesn't matter, attorney, dentist, plumber, if you, you know, don't, people who like what they're doing perform better. So yeah, general wisdom, I'm sure I've said that a thousand times already, but um, so yeah, the, those are the two things, get you know, hire an attorney, make a, create a brand that's unique, use taglines to describe things. Um, and when you were talking about the descriptive brand earlier, can you give us an example so we can kind of get an idea of when you're saying that's not a good idea? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and I'll give you examples, of <laughs> real life examples um, that you can look up on the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. So I have a friend who has a um, client that has a pet food that is a plant-based uh, pet food. You know, but, uh, there's no animal products in, in the pet food uh, product. And the mark, the trademark is plant powered. And the government said, well, that describes the product. It's like plant powered. No. Okay. So I don't know. You tell me, I think that that still requires, even if you see it on a pet food shelf, so that there's the caveat that it is, you know, context is uh, essential. So, but if you saw it on a pet food shelf, plant powered, I think you still have to go plant powered. Oh yeah. That probably means that the ingredients are plants. Okay. So maybe it's a vegetarian dog food, but it could also be, you know, plant. when I think of plant powered, I think more of like energy used mm -hmm. to create something as a uh, manufacture it as opposed to the thing that is in it. Um, or uh, another one. Um, uh, well, I have a client who has a festival and the festival is held uh, at different ski resorts and the trademark is music brews mountains. And the government said, well, that clearly that describes uh, a music festival that offers music in the mountains and serves beer. And I was like, well, number one, brews could be coffee or beer, but like, no, there's other, and the other thing is that there are numerous other trademarks out there. Like the, the questions that the government will ask to determine if your trademark is quote descriptive. Uh, it looks to see if the trademark describes a pur purpose, feature, characteristic, or function of the product or service. But then it also looks to, do you have to think about what the product or service is? And looking at Music Brews Mountains, like they put it all over banners, like in, uh, when, when the festival was at Steamboat. And if you look at that, I mean, that, yeah, it could be a music festival. It could just as easily be a beer festival. Like, it could, I think it could be a variety of things. And for the government to say, nope, that describes it, and you can't initially have uh, exclusive trademark rights over it, um, that's 
you know, like I said, that, that can mm-hmm. be a big challenge to overcome. And and um, presumably five years after someone has used a trademark, it, it has what we call acquired distinctiveness or enough brand recognition to be protectable um, by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office on their principal register, on the government's principal register. Um, but the more descriptive a government finds the terms, the more uh, supplementary evidence they will require in support of that five year. Like you say, we've used it for five years now. They'll say, oh, it's really descriptive, though. You have to give us lots more evidence. Um, the, um, in recent months and years, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office has taken to applying the rules and laws very, what we call strictly, like very literally, um, and not, sometimes you almost feel like they're not even reading your arguments because you get these like one or two lines back that says, we found that unpersuasive and there's no legal analysis mm. <laughs> as to why your factual evidence and arguments and legal analysis didn't succeed. So it, I know all this sounds very, jar- maybe jargony and like, oh God, why even bother? Um, and there's 10 specific reasons I can tell you why bother, uh, or there's uh, an info sheet on my website about why bother. Um, and when I say bother, I mean file, you know, trademark registration applications, make sure that your brand is not infringing ahead of time. But, but all of this, you know, if you're going to be fundraising, if you're going to um, want to grow your business and have something that people can identify easily and, and from, their, from your competitors or from other offerings that are similar to what you're offering, um, then the trademark, the brand is really important and brand protection is really important. And for anyone who makes anything, if you want to have infringing items removed from Amazon or eBay or Facebook or Insta or any of those places, you have to have federal trademark registrations to show you own the rights to have those things removed, to have you know exclusive rights over those terms. So, yeah, there's a lot to it. I don't even remember your question anymore. And I'm sorry that I rattled on that long. No, it's, it's perfect. You know, there's a couple of things I wanted to touch on in there. So thank you. Those are some great examples of uh, what a descriptive brand is. But what's interesting, I want to just kind of do two things I want to push in on that I love that you said, but that was a great example of descriptive brand. But when you're saying the government takes issue with it, so I just want to set the stage and, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. So someone has thought of this idea. They've done maybe some of their own little legwork thinking that it looked clear, that it didn't look like someone else's. Um, and they've they, they they thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to build this, you know, plant power, amazing brand, and it's going to be this plant-based pet food. And they're super excited. No doubt they've invested a bunch of time and money and resources into this thing. They've they've probably gotten pretty far down the road. And then when you say the government takes issue with it, do they say you it, it does that mean you won't be granted the federal patent? Is that what that means? So the four areas of intellectual property that that survey course looked at. So the copy, co- there's copyright, trademark, trade secret, patent. Copyright protects creative expression. So that could be photographs. That could be dance moves like choreography. That could be a work of text as long as it's saved. Um, that could be someone standing on a stage and doing a performance as long as it's recorded. So the key is that it's different uh, works of creative expression that are Losses fixed in a tangible medium of expression, which really means recorded in some fashion. Um, uh, then those are those works are protected under copyright law, um, and there's lots of complexity as to who owns that uh, right, that copyright, which is actually uh, four primary rights. It's the right to reproduce an original work, 
the right to perform or display the original work, the right to transfer the original work, and the right to create new works uh, based on that original. So if you think of Mickey Mouse, I don't know why I always think of Mickey Mouse, but when you think of Mickey Mouse, um, because he's ubiquitous, mm -hmm. right? And he's used as a brand, as the source of Disney products, but he's also the copyright in him is used on lunchboxes. I mean, he's, he started out as a cartoon, like a single, you know, two, two dimensional cartoon. And then he became an animated cartoon. And then he became a plush toy. And then he became a lunchbox. So everything that stemmed from that cartoon, those are all derivative works that are owned by the original author. So that's what copyright protects, uh, original works of authorship that are uh, memorialized. If you stood on a stage and presented and no one recorded it, that wouldn't technically be a copyright. Um, moving on to trademarks, those are brands, easily, most easily understood as brands. But brands can be things like when you turn on the computer and it makes a noise to tell you it's a Pentium inside and you hear it, that's not the noise, but um, that's a brand. Uh, so, it, so it's you know not just a um, stamp that you see on a product to indicate or you know a literal brand that would be on a, a, a cattle or other, the origination of it. It would actually, you know, think of farming days or ranching days more precisely, where they and they still do brand animals um, to identify them as, you know, source of one entity. Um, so that's brands uh, essentially. They're source identifiers, um, trademarks, excuse me, trademarks. And then uh, trade secrets are business secrets that are valuable because they're not generally known nor easily learned, and certain precautions have to be taken to protect them. So. Not, you know, not everyone, even on the team knows them. It's like the Coca-Cola formula, which allegedly no, you know, single individual knows the whole formula, or maybe at this point, no individual computer knows the whole formula. Um, and it's, you know, lots of computers talking to one another that each, you know, give their little attributes so that that formula can't be copied because that's what makes that product so uh, ubiquitous and that brand actually I believe still today is the most valuable or one of the top five most valuable brands in the world and the Coca-Cola company actually has said uh, that its brand is the most important asset it has but it's also the dollar value is the greatest uh, asset that that company has um, but so the formula itself is a trade secret not as valuable as the brand to the company um, and then patents which protect inventions um, which have to be new, novel, non-obvious, non and useful. Um, and that is an area of law that scientists and fancy fancy engineers deal with, not me. <laughs> Perfect. That, that makes complete sense. And I, I love that you went through both the intellectual property piece, but also the, the importance, I want to highlight, um, the importance of having a specialist in that field. I was talking to a, a friend of mine who is a, a lawyer practices different kind of law. And I, we were talking about intellectual property and he said, I got to tell you, he goes, it was one class in Georgetown. That's it. Really what, one thing I want to come back to, I mean, you've just been such an incredible asset for us here, both for Maven and for um, the podcast and a huge, huge resource getting with the right person with not just counsel, but the right person that this is their expertise. This is they, what they do day in and day out. This is their day to day. Um, and also one that you have a really good rapport with, because this can be a trying process. We'll 
we'll touch on that here shortly, but it can be a trying process. And um, so having a really good relationship is important. So the expertise and the rapport. One thing I also wanted to touch on is you you mentioned at the very beginning, um, you said, make sure that the brand is available. And that's really interesting language. So I think from the perspective of an entrepreneur, and, and definitely when I went down this road myself a, a few times in the past, and most recently with you and I together, in my mind, if I had created something, if I had put pen to paper and developed something or my team had developed something, then we had created it and therefore it was available. If we did not, again, this was our mistaken perception. If we did not create it in the image of something else, we weren't sitting there with a, with you know a, a similar product or a competitor or something like that, looking at their logo or looking at their tagline and and trying to create it in their image, we thought, well, we've created this. So because we thought we created this from scratch, we made the false assumption it would be available, not just even the words, but even just logos and things like that. And what you find is when you get into your niche, there are lots of other people that are also in your niche who had very similar ideas. And I was amazed how often when we were going through the searching process, these names that we thought were so creative, oh man, we, because we'd gone through a lot of branding exercise and we knew exactly who we were talking to, our exact audience, and had these amazing names. And you know what? So did other people. <laughs> so every time we searched, um, we got shot down. Um, and it was quite a process. And again, that's where it comes back to having a great relationship. But I really want to point out that very specific language, make sure the brand is available. Just because you thought of something and you thought it came from your own creativity or your own inspiration does not mean it's available. It still needs to be searched and then steady yourself for those results. So we talked a little bit about misconceptions. Is there any other uh, misconceptions that you run across a lot or people, again, walking with with different expectations of either what the processor is involved in? Um, in the actual podcast, when I record it in there, I say one of the little known facts is it takes a year because when you told me that, I about fell off my chair because that's pretty much eternity to an entrepreneur. You know, that's like glacial speed. It takes a year. So is there any other, you know, misconceptions or just wildly off base expectations that people have around this? Um, I think going back to that issue of um, availability and, and what that means, the first person or entity to use a mark in interstate commerce gets to prevent everyone else from using not just an identical mark for the same goods or services, but a similar mark for related goods and services. They get a uh, like what we call the zone of expansion. They get protection over the zone of expansion. So um, a great example is like nowadays restaurant companies, but also I work with a lot of live performing artists, especially in the bluegrass field. And so you know a lot of my artists have T-shirts that support you know sales of which are part of their income, or they have audio recordings, video recordings. So when we search, if it's a brand new you know, group of dudes or girls or dudes and girls getting ready to go start a band together, which never, this never happens, but if it were any company together, um, you want to look at not just, okay, we're making, uh, we're going to have a rock and roll band, but, oh, is there any t-shirt company that also has, you know, the name we want to have? Because I've heard of at least two. I think um, there's a band called Sound Tribe Sector 9, and I don't, I never confirmed this, but I heard that they had a, an issue with, uh, I think it was a, skateboarding company called Sector 9 because they both wanted to use the mark on apparel and Sound Tribe sometimes would go by Sector 9 and they said, you know, just can you be Sound Tribe instead or focus on Sound Tribe instead. And in any event, you just partially goes back to what you said about 
working with a professional that you get along with well and that you communicate well with, but also just you, you have to take a broad view of what related relatedness means when it comes to your products and services and, and really understand what available means. And the sooner you can do it, the, the better, because um, you don't want to start acquiring brand recognition in something that you then have to change. <laughs> it's, it's challenging as you can uh, share. And, uh, and lots of entrepreneurs. I mean, it, it's amazing. And there's also two, um, I guess the other thing I would say is timeliness on the copyright side, which we haven't really talked about at all. So I think it's a wholly separate podcast. Um, with me, clearly it could be three separate podcasts. Um, th- that uh, copyrights ideally need to be filed within three months of, of a work being published, which really means putting it out there for anyone. Um, so either prior to publication or within three months, that's a, that's a really big deal as far as timeliness and copyright law. Trademark law doesn't have um, quite such a rigorous, like it has to be done in three months. Um, but And copyrights can be filed later, but it's very, much less beneficial to do so. Um, with trademarks, the, the benefits that you obtain are solely through registration, like, like nationwide rights, like being on a um, the, the official register that says, hey, there's brand ownership here, uh, essentially. Um, the ability to get Amazon and those other entities to remove infringing posts, the um, ability to rate, you know, fundraise. There's so many benefits to federal trademark registration. So making sure you have something that not just that can be registered and actually used, you know, in the marketplace, um, I would say is probably the most important uh, thing in addition to the descriptiveness issue. The descriptiveness <laughs> issue comes up like every other hour, I think. And the, and the uh, trademark infringement is what it's technically called, like the legal term, but the brands having problems with one another is at least once a week in my in my practice. And I've been doing this for 20 years, so it's it's not uncommon, <laughs> um, but it would be a lot, lot less stressful and less expensive for entrepreneurs if it didn't come up. I've had a trademark uh, battle myself with Brandy. So. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's good to know. So it's good to know that we're amongst friends. So <laughs> Totally amongst friends. Yeah. Some other attorney thought Trademark Geek was a cool blog name. Um, and then, yeah, anyways. Now I own trademark geek too. So, okay. What's the domain? <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. No, you know, it's funny. I was having a conversation with a, um, a business owner that said they'd gone through the process and they did their due diligence. They had, um, filed the paperwork. They worked with the trademark attorney. Uh, they did it all years ago and fast forward five or six years later, they were having to defend it. And, and I remember her words exactly. She said, I'm so glad that we did the work up front. She said it was time consuming. It was resource draining. We were frustrated. She said, but we did it up front because if we hadn't here, we what we'd established this brand. We were known as this thing. And if we hadn't crossed our T's, there's a good chance we would be going through a rebranding exercise right now, even though we were, you know, years down the road. Yeah. It's a good cautionary tale. So tell, so tell me about, let, let me set the stage here. So every time my team had this name, and now mind you, we would have a name that we would vet on our side. So we'd go through this process and we'd search it in, in the, the ways of a person maybe that hasn't gone to law school might look at it. Um, clearly not with a macro lens. We were going with a micro lens. And we'd, we'd think we found it. Oh, man, this is a hot damn. This is a good name. And we would send it over. 
And Laura would, uh, Laura would essentially send back a wah, wah, and she would reference this Dilbert cartoon. So tell us about this. Uh, tell us about this Dilbert cartoon. Oh, Dilbert. So this cartoon must be at least nine years old, maybe 10 years old now. I think it's 10 years old. And it is a cartoon of, of Dilbert who essentially goes, is, is tasked with naming something. Heavens knows why, if you've ever seen the Dilbert cartoon. But he's tasked with naming something. And he com- keeps coming into his boss's office. And every time it's like shot down, just every time. And at the end, he's like, you know, exasperated. And he says something to the effect of, we're just going to have to go with. And the boss is like, mm, sorry, taken. And, you know, and, his, and so it's like, number one, Dilbert gets it. So if it was, you know, if it's a prevalent enough issue for it to be in a Dilbert cartoon at all. Number two, that thing's 10 years old. Yeah. So think about the, the like, um, way the opportunity to, in that respect, of, of, as far as like trying to, Take a name that suggests, you know, like um, instead of comes out and describes, you're like, oh, okay, we have pink plates, but if we call them that, then it's descriptive. So how could we could we spell it differently, or could we, you know, how could we kind of still convey it in a different way? And everything you look up, it's like, nope, 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 nope. But it, but it, uh, yeah, it's it has been happening since at least 2009, but I'm pretty sure much longer because I've been practicing since '99. Um, yeah and and uh yeah but but your friend is right if you do it up front if you if you do it correctly um up front and correctly i mean it comes with an asterisk because we have a client right now who's in a dispute with someone and they did do the search and this other party was on like page six and there was no indication of this party's you know playing in my client's space um so to speak and uh, this party is saying, oh, no, that was, you know, our next expansion. We've been planning that expansion. It's the logical expansion. And like I was just saying, the zone of expansion. And um, it's just, it's unfortunate because in that case, we, we you know, it was there. And it was like, I don't think it'll be a problem um, to the degree where, you know, uh, yeah, you just, you just hate to see clients have to go through anything and it, attorneys can't make everything go away and sometimes you have to say to a client well the, the job of the, the role of the attorney is to apprise the client of risk and then the client gets to decide yes that's a risk I can bear okay I might have to rebrand again I'm willing to do it or the client can say like hell no I'm you know I'm going to make something up or I once had a client that literally just it was a car wash and it had had a brand and um, In-N-Out Burger actually it was In-N-Out Car Wash in Carson City and In-N-Out Burger and they're not, I think they're headquartered in Southern California, um, made them change their name when in out first came to Nevada. And it was it, like, the case was so clearly on the law on the favor of the car wash and in and out just was like, we're going to outspend you. Essentially, <laughs> they were like, we're going to take you to court. And the car wash was like, we're a car wash. <laughs> wow. So the car wash said, fine, we will just rebrand to car wash. And literally they don't have a name. I mean, yeah, I really don't. And I, I wish I could still tell you I should have memorized the addresses because there was two in Carson and one maybe in Sparks. Wow. Um, yeah, that was actually on the news. I think it was on KOLO uh, TV. You could probably still Google that or what, whatever the other main station down in Reno. They did like a little interview of the car wash guy and me because everyone was all excited for this wonderful burger chain to come in. And it's like, but they just made a car wash change. 
Wow. So just to give, so just to kind of put a point on that. So there was a car wash that was in town that previous to an In-N-Out Burger coming, an In-N-Out Burger comes to that town and then comes to fight them for it. Mm -hmm. And even though there's, there's pretty solid backing that indeed it should be the car wash. They said, Hey, look, we're just going to outspend you. So do you want to, I mean, they didn't, yeah, they essentially said, we're going to take it to court. And we were like, you're going to lose. And they were like, we're going to take it to court. And we're like, but the facts are on our side. Like your your fame, your trademark, we don't think meets the level of fame required for dilution, which is a, a there's two really categories of ways to um, infringe. Uh, that's not a term. Dilution, famous brands get this extra level of protection called dilution, where like Google, you can't name anything with the ending Google any longer because people would think it's a Google product, rightfully so. Mm. Um, and so as an example, because Google is definitely a, quote, famous mark, household brand name. in and out was claiming a fame. And so it was saying, even though you're a car wash and we're a burger joint, people are going to be confused. And they were basing it on the fact that both had drive-thrus. My client didn't actually even have a food vending machine. Their only vending machine sold car wash products because they made that allegation. And you have a food vending machine. It was like, no, actually, we don't. Like, wow. <laughs> but you're really stretching. Um yeah, it was it was a wild experience. Um, so sometimes, yeah, no, that, the point is just that sometimes, you know, on rare occasions, it's like, fine, we're just going to be toothpaste. But in reality, <laughs> you need to have a brand and, and you want one that's unique, um, you know, not only because uh, you don't want to infringe on anyone else's rights, but, it, you know, at the end of the day, if you have something that's too similar to someone else's brand and something goes wrong with their product or service, then you might risk you know, receiving heat or even a misdirected lawsuit or, you know, there's lots of reasons, you know, people, people are confused and really don't know that, oh my gosh, is this, you know, if uh, Mickey Daves is a McDonald's, you know, offshoot or licensed by McDonald's or, you know, anything like that, that you might think is related to another brand when it isn't, that's, that's technically a violation of someone else's trademark. Um, so wow, that's really insightful. So you you know one good one question that came up as you were talking about that is when you were saying about the the original conflict where someone said, "Hey, this was the natural progression for expansion. You should have known that." So do people go back and modify their trademark? So for example, say you're trademarking a podcast name, but you're eventually going to go into some additional products. If if that's not evident in the original trademark that you filed, do people go back and amend them? You can't go back and amend them. The only thing you can do is file additional applications. Another reason why having a good trademark attorney, especially a creative one, yeah. um, is important because um, once you file a trademark application, you cannot materially alter or make material changes to the way the um, trademark appears. If it's like a word, you can't change the spelling. If it, so This is to the degree to which this goes. If it's, you know, a compound word and you break it up, okay. But if it's a compound word that could be broken up in multiple ways, I wish I could have an example off the top of my head, I don't. Um, then that wouldn't be, they wouldn't let you even, you know, break up the word. So it's it's very new, very limited as to what you can do once you file a trademark application to make changes to either what the trademark is or to what the products and service, how the products and services are described. You can't uh, expand the goods and services. You can only clarify them 
uh, narrow, narrow them down or delete things from them. Hmm. So if you filed yeah, an application to register a brand for podcasts and um, then in seven months you decided, oh, we're also going to have um, T-shirts and we're, you know, then you would potentially want to a, do a separate search and make sure the mark was available for T-shirts and B, uh, potentially possibly file an additional trademark registration application. Yeah, and, and so things are, again, if it's closely related, like no, if you have a registration for podcasts, the U.S. government probably wouldn't let there be a registration for um, radio shows. But would they let there be a registration for um, a radio station? Like if it was the call name of a radio station, maybe. Mm. Um, it just, you know, it, it depends on how many words the mark are similar. What do the logos look like? You know, there's lots of nuance that goes into it. But, um, yeah, you can't go back and uh, make very many changes. It's pretty limited. And there's other things that if you if you get incorrectly, like the owner name, if you list that incorrectly, then the whole thing's void. So, Wow. There's a lot of reasons to have a trademark. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like any other, I mean, I hate to say it and I don't mean to diminish it by any way, any means I've been doing it for 21 years and I love it. Um, it is very much knowing the rules of the game. It's a, it's a process or, or a game. I, I like to think of it as a game because I'm playful and I like, you know, I like solving puzzles. Um, I also know the rules to the, to this puzzle. Um, and that there's often various outcomes that can, can come from different strategies being employed. So even though I could sit and do the same thing every day, it's always something different yeah. uh, because of how you, what the facts are and how you, how you apply the rules. But the things that are always the same are, you know, as you've said, and as I've belabored, find someone you really, you know, like and can communicate well with and, um, and don't, you know, don't let them stifle your creativity, but let them help you guide that creativity to um, minimize your legal exposure and, and uh, so you can focus on what you're good at, which is delivering your product. And making the Guide the creativity to minimize your, I, I love that. That was a great, that was a great line. I'm April Garcia, an international business advisor, performance coach, serial entrepreneur, traveler, mama, wife, and just about everything in between. I've made large companies larger and rich people richer. Now I only advise great executives and ambitious entrepreneurs on growing their business, having the right mindset, and contributing more to their world. You know, one thing uh, you mentioned about, hey, there's uh, like the the example of the the car wash that was named In-N-Out and then In-N-Out Burger came into it. So I'm just thinking about, you know, entrepreneurs that are listening to this. There are going to be entrepreneurs that are listening going, I've had a business for five years, never had an issue, did not trademark it. And my, myself included. So I've been an uh, entrepreneur serial, many, many, many times. Um, I have not always done that. When I did business with, uh, when I worked with much larger corporations, yes, we we followed the process and we had a team that did that. And I was fairly removed to it. Sort of the marketing team came back and they'd, they'd worked with counsel and we got a name and we went from there. And I really... <laughs> I really now appreciate what they did to get that name. Um, but for small mm-hmm. businesses, there's a lot out there that might be listening. They're going, okay, well, I haven't trademarked. I haven't had an issue with this. Um, when do people have an issue? Because eventually they can. Is it when they have, um, it, like in the example you gave where someone big comes to town and then you get on someone's radar? Is it because you've grown to a level of success that you're getting uh, national recognition? When do you find that people get into trouble? Um, 
Well, my first thought was anytime they um, have either an opportunity or a challenge in front of them that involves their trademark and they don't have a registration, because as you said previously, it takes about a year from application to registration, nine months to a year. So um, that's when they get in <laughs> trouble because then they have no title <laughs> title to an intangible asset. Like you have an asset you can't touch and now you don't even have a type like something to evidence your ownership of it. Talk about esoterica. Um, <laughs> that's when they get in trouble. But um, it really, yeah, it really depends. I mean, I've had clients who they want to franchise all of a sudden and then they was like, okay, so now we need to take care of this. Push comes to shove. People don't want to, um, essentially license things that you don't technically have a, you know, legal right to, or something to demonstrate your legal right. Like you have rights um, from using brands with what you call common law rights or use-based rights because by virtue of, of making or selling something in interstate commerce um, gives you the right to protect that brand through federal trademark registration. And so if you don't have, like I said, if you don't have registrations, then you don't technically have a, a title or a deed to the asset. So, it's very hard to license something you can't prove you own. Mm. Um, so that that's one time. More commonly, or maybe yeah, probably more commonly is when there is suddenly a, a trademark dispute. You've grown too big, or another party with a similar name has grown too big, and you just you suddenly start bumping into each other. So when I first started practicing in '99, like we didn't have as much of the the issue of the internet. In fact, we had to file everything on paper. Like clients sent us photocopies of things and then we sent it in the, to Washington DC. Wow. But um, as soon as the internet, as soon as the internet became more and more popular and then ubiquitous, then you started having products and companies that, you know, even if it was small and at your farmer's market or just in your local, you know, or organic grocer or whatever it is, you know, some novelty product that's at the cool little boutique down the road. Um, if you start to have a website, then all of a sudden people start finding you. Um, and now everyone, almost everyone has websites, but that's also how, you know, as I said, like with a, a trademark attorney, you can do a website search. And as April's team did, you can do website searches and, and not see things, you know, on the first five pages of Google or the first 40 pages of Dr. Go uh, search results. And, um, and there could still be some problem with some state trademark registration, or there could be, uh, I think most businesses think about business insurance, you know, and they have like, um, but as soon as, if, if not, they should be, I guess. Um, but it's right up there. It's like one of the, you know, trademark registrations are almost like a, a insurance policy um, so that you can prove your ownership if something happens. Um, and it just, it takes so darn long. And like nine to 12 months, those are the ones that are like sailing through. So the ones that there's any kind of issues with, those take a lot longer. Um, and any product nowadays, I mean, if you're going to sell on Amazon, that's a really long time to wait to get the Amazon brand registry to recognize your trademark. Yeah. But you know what? I, I hadn't, it hadn't occurred to me that I bet you trademark has become far more prominent now because of the internet, because everything you put out there is you have URLs for it and you're out on social media. And, and so you can take, you can be a small town even a car wash and have a social media presence and then spread nationally in some, in some form or fashion. So I didn't think about the fact that that probably has really increased the amount. Is that, is that, has that increased? Let me take a step back. Is that a fair assessment that the amount of infringement has increased? I think, yes. Well, yes, I think the amount of infringement has increased, but I think that's a natural increase you know, I think there's a correlation between 
uh, if there's a greater number of businesses, there's going to be a greater amount sure. of infringement. I think what people don't realize often is that there's the greatest amount of infringement occurs between um, brands that are similar for products that are related. It's not generally like knockoffs of Gucci purses on New York City streets, you know, or it's not generally like a total copycat website that's, you know, phishing and stealing information, although those are certainly instances of trademark infringement. And you hear about them because those brands have huge PR firms that are able to get that news out. And it's also newsworthy because people do recognize the brands and it's like, oh my gosh, they just shut down 17 truckloads of Prada bags or whatever it is. Um, so you don't necessarily hear um, about a lot of the smaller infringements, but some industries you do, like the craft beer industry, they have infringement issues every hour. It feels like you can, um, um, but it's because it's so growing. It's just, as you said, it's like, Craft beer didn't exist 20 years ago or you know, barely existed. And it certainly didn't have mm -hmm. a term 20 years ago when I started practicing. Um, and now it's, it's, you know, like I said, they, there's a really, if you just look up, you know, craft beer trademark infringement, you'd probably find a dozen cases in the first couple pages of search results. Wow. Um, so I think it's just, yeah, an increase of the number of businesses plus the number of, and most of them are innocent mistakes. It's really not people trying to, uh, ride the coattails of someone else unfairly or to confuse people into buying their product because they, you know, oh, if we make it like this, they'll think we're like that. And so we'll go buy it. It's like, well, no, you have to build your own. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, that um, makes You know, I, I like that you, I like that most of them are innocent mistakes. Um, it would be easy to assume that intent mattered that I did not intend to make my bag of chips look like the Dorito bag. And we would be mistaken if we thought that just because we didn't intend to look like another brand means it doesn't mean anything. Um, ultimately, it doesn't matter if you intended to or not. What matters is that it is and you, you didn't find out. And now you're going to the burden is going to be on you to change it. And that's it's time consuming and it's expensive and it's very involved. And it can be pretty you know demoralizing for a company, too, if they have to rebrand. And that's not just with podcasts, mm -hmm. but with lots of things. And it's really challenging. So. I want to kind of put a bow on that. And then I actually do want to ask you a couple questions about, about just being a lawyer, just to kind of give some perspective. So um, kind of wrapping this up, what we were just talking about in relation to trademark. And if we forgot everything else, what's two or three things that you'd say, okay, here's, here's the things that you've got to walk away from this conversation. Remember these, these couple of points about trademarking, what would they be? Top three takeaways. Number one, get yourself a trademark attorney who you want to hang out with. That is really the most important. I know that sounds ridiculous, but if you can't trust them, if they're not your friend, if they're not someone that you really like and want to be with, you're not going to have a great working relationship. I would say get yourself that you, you know, someone that you can trust that you, you know, that knows trademark law, um, but that you like, and that, like I said, you'd want to spend some time with outside of just having them help you protect your brand, because that's going to make the best relationship for your brand and the brand protection it needs. Uh, secondly, if it's early in the process, involve that trademark attorney. Number one, if they're good and they're fun and you like hanging out with them, why wouldn't you involve them? Um, number two, if they're all those things, they won't stifle your creativity and express those fears. If they're good at what they do, they're used to hearing those things, but probably not in those words. Um, but, but be open with them and express the things that concern you and express where you feel stifled and how do you work around it? And, um, if they're, if, you know, the more creative they are, the better, um, the better I think it will be for you in the long run. And the last thing is um, there are, 
at least nine. I have a list of 10 on my website because the 10th is you get to work with me. Um, but there are at least nine reasons to federally register trademarks. Um, I mentioned a bunch of them uh, already in this podcast, so I won't bore you again, but maybe go back and listen. Um, it's really, really, really important to federally register your trademarks. You might say more so for brands because, again, things like Amazon brand registry and other places where the trademark could be infringed. Um, but even as a service provider, it's something to consider. It's how it's how the people who you want to find you, whether you're for-profit, non-profit, somewhere in between, it's how those people find you, the people who are going to invest in you, the people who are going to purchase from you, the people who are going to benefit from whatever it is that you're uh, doing and offering in the world as your, quote, brand. Um, that protecting it is a, a really smart thing to do. And if you're lucky, your trademark attorney might even yeah, make it fun. Absolutely, absolutely. Though I feel like you take the cake in attorneys that make things fun. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I feel like you might rule that. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you. you. Just might. <laughs> I think it's so. So tell me about that part. So tell me about that part of your business. Like you're you're someone who clearly loves what they do. I've worked with a lot of attorneys through the years. Most of them are corporate. Some of them are estate planning. Um, not all of them had so much love for their work. So tell me what what's your secret sauce? Is it just you absolutely are, are riveted by this topic? Is it because this is just your natural kind of happiness treadmill? You're just a happy person and and are joyful. And so regardless of what you're doing, you're really enjoying it. Tell, tell me about that. I think it's a combination of, of a lot of factors. Uh, but it is. I love puzzle solving. And this is that, that's all this is. Um, I just, I get paid to solve puzzles every day. It's amazing. I, to a degree, I can't believe I get to do it. Um, I work, I've designed my practice so that I work with other, what I call soulful, multiple bottom line businesses, uh, bands and promoters that are trying to make the world a better place. So I, I don't really have uh, any clients that aren't giving back in some form, whether they do charitable donations or whether they do charitable uh, volunteer efforts or whether their whole company is designed to create some form of public benefit um, or if they're a nonprofit. Uh, so I, it's, it's what I get to do and the people with whom and for whom I get to do it. It's, um, it's amazing. And then like top it all off, uh, I'm a trademark attorney. So there is a community of trademark attorneys uh, that is part of a listserv hosted by a awesome human in Summit County, Colorado named Carl Obadal. And um, he has this, yeah, a listserv. So we can all ask each other questions uh, about things. Like the other day I had a question of, I have to um, record some documents with the government to make sure that these things are in the public record of this client for this client. And I'm not sure in what order to do them and how to, how exactly to do this because it's this weird thing happened. And uh, somebody wrote back and was like, oh, this happens to me all the time. It is totally weird. And you just do this. And it was like, oh, thank mm. goodness, you know, because there's not really like a book that tells you uh, <laughs> how to practice law. You can, and in fact, that's how I started. I mean, I started working for another firm and then two and a half years in, I was like, hmm, these guys can do it. I think I can do it better. <laughs> so I went out on my own and I probably spent $2,000 on books. Like I still have one set called McCarthy on trademarks and unfair competition that I probably opened three times a year. And the, this set is probably 18 years old now um, to the point where I would, they would make me buy all new books. This, but the, I really, I spent thousands and thousands of dollars on books because I just felt like, well, I can learn anything from books. 
And um, so I can figure out how to practice law, but it's really not. It's knowing the nuances, and, um, but I love it. And so many attorneys, I just talked to someone who's uh, has like a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old and they had like career day. And so a bunch of different professionals came in and talked about their career and what they liked. And the attorney came in and was like, don't do it. It's hard. <laughs> and I was like, what? Really? Yeah. And she was like, yep. And she told me the full story about it. And I was like, that sounds awful. And she was like, you should totally come to the school and do it. And I was like, I would come to the school and do it. Um, so we'll see if she follows up. But yeah, she was like, her son came home and was like, oh, I never want to so be in a Let me ask you this. How much of that do you think it's related to their displeasure with their career or their particular line of work? Or is it related to the person? I mean, it's hard to say. Obviously, it's just speculation. Oh, but- yeah. Well, it is hard to say. But I mean, I can say like trademark attorneys, like I said, this listserv is so collegial and it's like the nicest people. And, um, and I think the practice area, I mean, I do occasionally get, well, a couple things. One, when I first started practicing, I co-founded this this um, Nevada Bar uh, section of intellectual property law. Like, uh, I think what year did we do that? 2002, I think, as well. And, I mean, so it's like there was so little. I, when I first started practicing here, I went to the only law firm that had an intellectual property um, practice when I, yeah, 99. Like, there was one firm or maybe two firms. Um, and I, the first one firm, I was like, I cannot sit in a cubicle. And the other firm, I was like, okay, for two and a half years, I did it. And then I was like, I can't do this. Um, I need to be on my own, doing it my own way. <laughs> I've since tried to be employed twice. And also those each lasted two and a half years. So that apparently. That's your, my your shelf life. I'm only employable as an attorney for two and a half years. And then I have So to when you own. said, I see what they're doing and I can do it better. I thought, ah, that's the rally call of the entrepreneur, right? I see what they're doing. I could take your right? process and make it a little bit better and do this on my own. Yes, totally. And be so much happier about it, even if I, you know, make less money. Although, well, the, yeah, it took a long time to get the law firm profitable, but, but it yeah. is now, thankfully. Um, and it's, yeah, it's worth those struggling, frustrating, you know, want to shoot every computer you see years, uh, at least for me. So in <laughs> getting that, you know, both getting it profitable and making the, the law firm a success, do you can you look back and think, okay, what, what were either some turning points or some keys? A lot of what we do, you know, again, speaking a lot to entrepreneurs, but just people in general, it's just our our listeners are focused on getting to the next level. It's it's sort of the contribution focused, um, typically entrepreneur, but it can be anyone who's actively seeking that next level, actively pushing for that. So a lot of what we do is we talk about best practices and, and tips and tools on, Hey, what got this person to the next level, whether it's, it's habits or, or different things. Can you think of some things that like, Oh, this, this made a huge difference in my, in the firm's trajectory or me professionally. You. Mm-hmm. I got divorced. I don't know if I recommend that. Um, <laughs> Did that help your career or hinder your career? <laughs> totally helped. It's amazing. No, it shot it into this amazing trajectory. I, I got, it was actually, I did all the things at once. I quit a job. Then two weeks later, discovered I was getting divorced. And then a week later, realized I had to sell a house. So oh my gosh. quit a job, got a divorce, sold a house. Um, and it actually turned out that those were all really good things. I would not have chosen any one of those necessarily at that. Well, the quitting the job I chose, but the other two, I wouldn't have chosen at that time. Um, certainly not. Yeah. All combined. Like, I think those are like the three most stressful along with illness. Indeed. 
They're in the top five, right? Yeah, it was crazy. Um, but then I think the, the simultaneous thing that happened, maybe this was just like turning, what did I turn, 45? Uh, so it could be age. It could be a combination of age and like a lot of different types of trauma that I just described. Um, but there was a moment of just sort of like, okay, I can't have this professional mask. I'm not going to stop pretending, you know, to, um, I'm, I'm, yes, if I had to go to court for something, which I never would, but had I, or were I, I would put on something that somewhat resembles a business suit-ish, but I don't own one of those. And in fact, most of my shoes are flip-flops or they're like waterproof things, um, unless they're sparkly shoes. But the, um, yeah, I think as, as a business owner, you have to, like, there was so much of, like, how I thought it was supposed to be done. I mean, people were like, you can't go to Tahoe and practice trademark law. It was like, I was very, very, very fortunate not to have student loans. I think had I had student loans, I wouldn't have been able to make that choice. I was able to come here and not have massive amounts of debt that required a six-figure salary out of the gate. I could take $40,000 out of the gate, again, 20 years ago, but, you know, and then I could live for a couple of years with no salary. So, like, the things that all entrepreneurs at some point have to do, but when you're planning it, you have to look and, and, you know, you have to know what your resources are, what you've saved or what, you know, where you are and try to figure out what are those worst case scenarios. Um, and will I be able to like, what will happen if, and it doesn't have to be this concrete, like step-by-step -step plan of, you know, succession of, Oh my God, if this thing fails, but just an idea of like, okay, I can do this. And if it doesn't work out, I'm going to be able to do these things over here. Um, like, I could drive to Reno, work in a cubicle, and wear a business suit. It would feel like drinking bleach after having eaten glass, but I could do it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And you know what's amazing, Laura, is that as you're talking about that, you've just described some of the biggest hurdles that people face. So you, you mentioned, okay, in, in a very short period of time, you hit three out of the top five biggest stressors, right? Divorce, um, quit a job and had to sell a house. And then you also described a period in which you had no salary too. So I, it, conveying what the, the real journey of the entrepreneur is, is so important because there's so many people that we work with, um, in this, you know, in this space where, Sometimes they feel like they're all alone in that. Sometimes they feel like, man, I've hit some um, serious hardship and I don't know that I can see the other way or it's just easier to go work for somebody else. Um, the, the one thing I know is Ugh. when you're an entrepreneur, that doesn't go away. Yes, you can go work for somebody else. But as you mentioned, it's eating glass and I think you said drinking bleach. Um, it's tough. It's tough because when you're meant to run, you're, you're meant to be at the helm of your own ship. Um, yes, you can go sit at the bottom of someone else's ship, but it's not the best you and it's not your best life. Uh, so I, I love that. I'm so sorry all those things happened to you, but I'm really glad it's a happy ending and that ultimately this was part of your trajectory. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then, you know, like people say, follow your heart and follow your passion or whatever that might mean to you. And you're just like, ah. I'm supposed to have a heart and passion. I, um, does this work? Um, but you really can bring your whole self to work and just be your whole self. Um, and, and my, it, like my little voice in my head just went, well, in some professions. And I said back to it, F you, I'm an effing lawyer. <laughs> you know, seriously, cause it really was, it was like, well, not everyone. It was like, no, everyone, if I'm a lawyer and I don't have to own a business suit or summer shoes that aren't flip flops, then, you know, like, why does anyone, but you do have to, 
um, you know, it's to the point now where my, my law firm, not me personally, because the law firm is, you know, like all of my travel is business travel. I mean, you know, as an entrepreneur, I mean, hey, it is like, I, but luckily, luckily for me, my clients are music, uh, you know, bluegrass bands and concert promoters. So my travel is awesome. Um, but most of it is business. So our, you know, if I'm going to a, like an event in Africa or something, there's like, it's actually a business quote business trip. It's like with an organized mm -hmm. group of other entrepreneurs. And so you figure out how to make your entrepreneurship really work for you, I think would be my other um, takeaway. And like, like whether it's silly, quote, silly things, like I sign my emails as April could tell you to my clients love. I'm never going to sign an email to an opposing counsel love. They're probably going to get warm regards. Sometimes they're going to get best regards. If they really, 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 really make me angry. It's regards. But, you know, um, you, you really totally can do, do things your own way. And that, like, fear of, like, oh, but if I want them to like me is, yeah, of course you do. Um, we all do, every one of us. Um, and if they don't like you, it's not you, it's them. Um, they have to like what you're selling. And then and you are a little bit less important, but except for with your trademark attorney, then you should like each other as people too. But, but um, yeah, like it's, it's, and I know your, your product is you in your head, in my head, all of our heads, especially like April and I were service providers. So it really is. It's like we provide intangible resources to you folks. I mean, you can't really hug the podcast. You could play it over and over when you slept, but that'd be weird. Um, and my cause brain cancer, but all that aside, um, you, you, you are not your, your product services or even your company's failures. Like you, you never will be like, you just aren't those things may happen. All of them, they could all happen at once. Um, but that's not, that has nothing to do with you and you're not a failure. You're a beautiful human, no matter what you're doing. So, uh, I think that's important to embrace, especially as entrepreneurs, we can be pretty darn hard on ourselves. We can. Absolutely. Um, we were, I was meeting with a group of business owners. Oh, it was a few weeks ago and we were talking about, um, when, when we have struggles, when the struggle hits, so I was talking to the group and one of the other guys said, yeah, you know, when I hit, hit my hard times, he said he, he called it the, the night, the dark night of an entrepreneur's soul. I'll never forget. Um, he referenced <laughs> that. And I thought, oh, that's, that's really, really good. And, and everyone can account to that and, um, working with, you know, all business owners, um, you hear about that a lot. And a lot of what they need to know is that they're not alone because when you're leading organizations and whether that's a, a small business, a, you know, sub million dollar business, or whether you're running a, a $50 million business, they need to know that this, the struggle is part of the process and we can't compare our backstory to someone else's highlight reel. So we're living our backstory. We're living mm. the, the untouched up uh, version of life and it's messy and it's ugly and things go sideways. And um, sometimes there's not enough money to make payroll or they're struggling with all these things, but they don't realize that the other people out there are struggling with the same thing. Yeah. They may have just been on the cover of Forbes magazine, or you may have just read this amazing article they wrote on LinkedIn, but they have their struggles too. They have their backstory too. And so part of what we do here in the podcast is give a very real sense of what this process of like, what this process is like, and be honest about the struggle. Because what do we want? We, we want to hear the, the me too. We want to hear the I, I've been there. You're not alone. I'm 
I'm fighting the same fight as you. Um, even for those who've gotten past that, past the moments of the struggles. It's so nice when they say, here, let me tell you about when I struggled through this, when my business wasn't profitable, when we weren't able to make pro- payroll or I had to let you know admin staff go because we couldn't afford it. People need to share those stories so others know that that this is this is part of the process and likewise to not throw in the towel just because they've hit that bump in the road that is part of it but there will also be great wonderful days when you stick to it and you you keep pursuing it tenaciously yeah absolutely i wonder if there's ever been an entrepreneur that didn't have to get friends and family money at some point or many times you know <laughs> like i feel uh, like <laughs> Has there ever, ever been someone who didn't at some point just be like, oh my gosh, what, you know, and it's, it's like, yeah, it was temporary, but. That's why it's a, it's a it's a good thing to recognize, um, you know. It's it's funny because talking to business owners day in and day out, their problems are so similar. So you can have two people doing very different businesses that are still having this this cash flow issue, and they don't know that everyone else is having the same issue. And if you can tell them, hey, you know, just I get it, you can't make payroll this month. Just so you know, I just got off the phone with someone else who can't make payroll, and they look like they got it all together too. Um, they, they're, they're pushing hard to get to the next level, but they're struggling on how am I going to pay my project manager? You know, how am I going to, how are we going to do this product launch? We don't have the funds for it. Marketing hasn't got us the sketches back, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, one of the things that this podcast is, is a place where people can go to kind of hear the, the realness of what it's like, but also recognize they got the power to change that. So when they're struggling, that they got the power to, to adjust their mindset, to adjust their perspective and adjust their story. And when you do that, you can enjoy not just your life, but your business. I mean, I think that, I think that you, my guess is you really love what you do, but it's also in how you approach it. And it's also in the fact that you, you mentioned the kind of clients you work with. It's very clear that you have a specific subset of people that you like to work with. And my guess is you're very discerning who gets in and who get, who doesn't. You got a, you got a pretty strong yes, no list. You, you can come in. You, this guy doesn't get to see the wizard. Nobody gets to see the wizard if you're like that. Um, so Hey, I'm glad we made the cut, but it, by picking the right clients, we enjoy what we're doing so much more. Yeah, for sure. And I'm fortunate to have someone, I have a few um, attorneys that uh, I can refer business to that don't have my same criteria, I guess. I don't know if that's the right word. So I have an attorney that that is amazing. She's an amazing collaborator of mine, and she helps me when I'm traveling. She helps uh, like you know, we brainstorm off of each other. And then if there are clients that aren't uh, multiple bottom line, environmentally and socially conscious, uh, a lot of those I will, um, when referrals come in, I will send those to her as well because she just works with all types of businesses. And um, so it's really awesome. And then I also have a litigator because I find that even though most trademark litigators are very nice and reasonable because they're in this circle of, uh, or this community that we have through this listserv that are all very friendly to one another. Um, I There are some that are not in that community that are just these, you know, machismo, chest pounding, women or men, it doesn't have to be men uh, solely, but they're just, uh, yeah, so I, I don't litigate. Litigate is toxic. <laughs> Litigation is toxic. Maybe that should be one of the takeaways, not that Ben ever wanted to put this way back there, but um, yeah, litigation is a really toxic uh, thing. So it is not something that I deal with. And I have an amazing uh, mentor and litigator and um, that I work with frequently, 
who's also really just good at business dispute resolution. And so a lot of times it never even has to get to litigation. I refer to him. He steps in as, quote, litigation counsel. And uh, and that and then people look him up and that is enough to uh, get a res. And he's very good at what he does. He's a very good negotiator and, and reasonable. And so people, you know, but he gets, gets it done. Um, oftentimes I can get it done, but there are some times where either they just ignore you or, you know, whatever. Somebody really, really pushes back and or wants to file a proceeding. And it's like, oh, okay, none of those things is me. I'm the, like, how can we both win? You can, the, you know, one party, both parties need to feel respected. And, um, and you know, yeah, there's, there's always a way that can be win-win, even if it means that one person has to change their brand. I think as long as the, the process is friendly and respectful, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell us where to find you, whether that's website, social media, where can we go to hang out with the chief uh, pontificator? Where can we go? So the website is brandgeek, B-R-A-N-D-G-E-E-K.net, brandgeek.net. Oh, there's a story there too, of course. And um, my email's on there. There's a blog that is very infrequently active. But that's okay. And and I'm not really active on social media anymore either. I found I had to get off of all that. So there are profiles, but they don't really do anything. So the website is the place that I'm um, kind of most active. Or you could go to, you know, a bluegrass festival in um, the Reno, Tahoe, anywhere in California, Utah, Colorado. Oh, that is awesome. Um, I love it. And then probably find me there dancing. Or Crystal Bay Club. Here oh, that is Club. awesome. Oh, well, thank you so much for your time. This has been amazing and I've loved it and incredibly insightful, not just in the business, but into um, your perspective and some of the things that make you as, as joyous and as pleasant to work with. So thank you for all that. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for dialing in today. And don't forget, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you love what you hear, give us a five-star review. It means the world to us. Hit me up on Instagram at the April Garcia or check us out online at pivot-me.com. This is all made possible with the support of you listeners, the numerous contributors and our clients. Our music and production is by the amazing Rockwood Audio. Join me next time for more tips on how to hack success. And until then, make it a great day. Thanks, guys. You guys are amazing.